These last few weeks have given us gospel stories that describe the leaders of the religious establishment trying to make sense of who Jesus is. And they are trying to uncover where he came from, who he's working for, whose side he's on. So these questions over the last few weeks have meant to give a little twist in a way that his guard gets let down and he reveals something that helps them clarify maybe the hunch they have or the fear they have, but helps them, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, understand who Jesus is working for, how he got here. Today's gospel lesson does that as they ask him for the summary of the law, the greatest commandment. But last week, you remember, they brought to him a coin and asked him what they were supposed to do with that, saying, is it legal to pay taxes to Caesar or not? The week before that, they asked him about his, some question, which he turned on it and then asked, him, asked them about his baptism. Was it of John or was it of the Spirit? So over these weeks, as we have worked our way through Matthew's Gospel, coming now close to the end, the religious establishment is trying to figure out, who is this guy? He speaks with some authority. He says things that resonate with us, and we recognize his teaching in our own instruction, the way in which we understand God, and the way we live as faithful devotees to God. But there's something different, too. And in his challenge, in Jesus' challenge of the establishment, the religious establishment, he is putting them in a place of unrest and dis-ease. Who is Jesus? So here this morning, they come again, hoping that in their question they might discover the Pharisees and Sadducees have joined together. They're saying, they're coming together, hoping that in their question they discover who it is that Jesus is. Whose team is he on? And they ask him for a summary, the greatest commandment, if you will, of all the law. And Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And in one version, I think it's in Luke's gospel, it's added in strength. This is all of us. Jesus says, to sum up the law, you love God with your whole self. That's the one thing you do. If you need another commandment, it's to love your neighbor as yourself. But that's supposed to be incorporated into the major one, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What a challenge that is. But Jesus is dogged with these religious authorities because he wants them to know the abundance and the immensity and the inf infinite love of God. He won't rest until he can help release them from the constraints they've put on the living God. And so I'm going to give you the end of the sermon now. This is the most amazing truth, and it is the point of the sermon. Jesus invites us into the fullness of the Godhead so that we might discover the fullness of who we are created to be. 
Jesus invites us into the fullness of the Godhead so that we might discover the fullness of who we have been created to be. Let me address perhaps the word Godhead. It's not really a term we use in our corporate worship, but it's hard to explain this idea of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the three in one. The Godhead is the most easy way, I think, to describe this. That in the God who was and who is and who is to come, we understand the one living God. There is a dynamism in God. God is not a figure who was, is stagnant, stationary. God is not one who sits distant from us and, you know, on occasion spins the plates so that they keep spinning. God is not one who sits remote and judges us with arms crossed because we can't seem to get it right. No, God is alive, living, and true. And God is in relationship with God's creation. God was in relationship, God is in relationship, and God will be in relationship. And I don't even know how to describe that, except perhaps to talk about the Godhead. That God is and is in relationship with us. Now, it is hard to conceive of the abundance of God, the infiniteness of God, because you know what? We have finite minds, do we not? You know, they they just have limits. I remember as a kid, you know, looking out at the stars and you'd see the, see the sky filled with them and it's crazy. Where does that, how far does that go? The darkness of space, looking at stars that were light years away and thinking that one might have already burned out 100,000 million years ago or whatever the number is. And I'm just now seeing it. And I would think and look at the space and think, what, how far does that go? And when it ends, well, what comes after that? The finiteness of my mind, I can't conceive of the infiniteness. I just become restless. And I want to make things fit and to be at peace because I understand them. And so I'm tempted, as I believe all creation is, to create some nice little barriers of understanding, some boundaries for knowing. And God is one of those creations that we long to do the same. Another time I remember I was a little bit younger and I have made peace with this one is I would ask my parents which was the first car on the road? Yeah, which is the first car on the road? I didn't know that all the roads are connected and that, but I just thought, you know, when the sun comes up somebody's got to be the first out there because it's the day and it's starting and but no Look at, what is the first car on the road? Who could say? It's an infiniteness to it. So we, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we have trouble with letting ourselves let go of the finiteness of our thinking so that we can discover who God really is. But Jesus, Jesus invites us into the fullness of who God is so that we might discover the fullness of who God has created us to be. So when Jesus talks about creating a new kingdom, well, we have a little problem. We don't quite understand what this is. I mean, we know what a kingdom looks like, right? We have them. We've had them. We still have them. 
So we understand the limits and the boundaries, and you hear the disciples, the followers of Jesus, trying to make sense of where Jesus' kingdom's going to be, and can I sit at your right hand and at your left, and how do I know that I'm in? Am I in? Because I want to be in. I don't want to be out. And who, who are you letting in? You're letting them in? Wait, whoa, whoa. Right? This is, this is the composition of the gospel lessons, the stories, where Jesus is trying to say, I'm making a new kingdom. And they say, yeah, and exactly where will that be? You hear it even in our gospel lesson today when Jesus reminds them of the finiteness that they have put God into. Bringing up King David, the one who was the best ruler. Golly, those were the good old days, the Hebrews people say. He gave us a sense of identity. We had security. We had abundance. We were powerful. We had confidence in ourselves. And that's what we want again, because that is all they could imagine a kingdom to be. And can we not only imagine that too? We really have trouble with imagining a different kind of kingdom. I'm not much of a historian. Um, I feel like I just learned last year about the Ottoman Empire. So um, that should give you a little clue as to the lack of historical person I am. I thought, ooh, I think somebody probably taught me this one time. That was a big deal. Like for 500 years, they ruled a lot of the world, right? And then upon their failing, another kingdom came to rule most of the world. And then that failed, and another kingdom came to rule most of the world. I mean, people, we got this. We understand kingdoms as it relates to land and water and particular boundaries. So we too are challenged by Jesus' words about a new kingdom that he is creating. One in which we are, understand ourselves as one with God. It's a kingdom that does not have boundaries. It's a kingdom made known in relationship. And the minute we think, oh, I got this, I understand it now, we have to reach for it again. God in Christ is creating a new kingdom. In Jesus, we are becoming aware of the fullness of God, the fullness of the Godhead, so that we can discover the fullness that we have been created to be. And I'm glad for Jesus' kingdom that he proclaimed. Because I feel confident that if he had built the kingdom that people desired him to make 2,000 years ago, it would already have come to an end. I'm certain it would have. If he had only been a radical, if he had only been a revolutionary, if he had only been trying to fight for political change, it would be over by now. And we would not be a part of it. The abundance of God is difficult to conceive. And Jesus' invitation, even as we hear it this morning, challenges us yet again to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is hard. Couldn't it be a little easier? You know, we have a sign out front which begins with the beginning of this piece of the second commandment, love your neighbor. It's been, I've been grateful for people who have spoken to me about that sign, whether they like it or not, because there are people that are not excited about that sign. Some of the things that people have made evident to me is that the list is interesting. <laughs> there are groups left off of that. Why choose those ones? 
What about the others? That's a good point. Why list anybody at all? Why can't we just say, love your neighbor as yourself? That's a good point. And in the itemizing of it, don't we diminish our willingness to notice the abundance of God? That's a good point. Perhaps we're tempted, just like the chosen people of God from the very beginning, to try to nail God down into some nice bullet points, to itemize how it is that we are to carry out our faithfulness. I believe that all those laws about washing hands and dishes and who to eat with and who not to eat with and when to touch people and when not to touch people and who to touch and what days to do work and what days to not to do work and what kind of work is actually work and what kind of work isn't work and the exceptions for that kind of work on those days but not on those days. I believe all of that came about because the abundance of God is hard for us to wrap our head around. The infiniteness of God blows our mind and so we abandon it. It's just too hard to conceive. But my friends, I think that the reason it's so hard for us is we're trying to put it in the wrong place. The kingdom of God doesn't make sense here. It only makes sense here. The kingdom of God only can be conceived of here. In the center of our being. I want to share with you a little piece from a theologian that I've never met, but whose reading, writings I read from time to time, James Finley. And in this particular reflection, he's talking about the union that God calls us into. Because remember, Jesus invites us into the fullness of the Godhead so that we might discover the fullness of who we've been created to be. It's a union a oneness with God. Do you remember from John's Gospel, at the end, when Jesus is with his disciples, breaking bread with them, having the Last Supper, and he's trying to make sure they've got it. I'm going to give it to you all again in directness. And it turns into a prayer that he makes to God. Lord, help them to know that they are one with you, just as I am one with you, and that they are one with me. The oneness of us all, the union that we have in God as God's creation. So James Finley talks about it in this way. He calls it a non-dual state, duality being this side or that side, in or out, good or bad. He talks about this, got to get rid of that duality to be able to conceive of what God is and who God is. And in this state, we can remember that although I am not God, I am not other than God either. Although I am not you, I am not other than you either. Although I am not the earth, I am not other than the earth either. All things are unexplainably, invincibly one in endless diversity forever. This doesn't fit here. It only fits here. So to break this down a little bit, I am not God, but I am not other than God either. This is what John's gospel, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples in John's gospel, this is what he's trying to say. That God is God in relationship to us. And that we understand ourselves in relationship to God. 
Consider the words of Teresa of Avila that we've remembered time and again over the time I've been here, that we're the hands and feet of Christ. But we know we're not really Christ, but yet we kind of are. We talk in our baptismal covenant about seeking and serving Christ in all persons. And you're like, wait, that doesn't quite make sense. But it does make sense. It does make sense. That we are not God, but we're not other than God either. We are knit into God, God's children, through our baptism, one with the Father. Secondly, although I'm not you, I'm not other than you either. I only know myself in relationship to you. And you know yourself in relationship to me and to others. We don't exist outside of relationship. I can't say that I'm a good person unless I'm actually a good person. It doesn't exist outside of actually being made known in community. This is an African understanding, Ubuntu. I am you and you and me. We are in relationship to one another. And you know what? We do know this. We know that if someone enters a scenario in an escalated fashion, that we are quick to imprint upon it and match it. So we try to lower the escalation, hoping that the other will do the same, right? Because we do that. We can't be ourselves outside of relationship with one another. And so, although I am not you, I am not other than you either. And thirdly, although I am not the earth, I am not other than the earth either. I was on a retreat a couple of weeks ago, and knowing the gospel stories that we were doing, um, that was the one about, you know, whose authority, you know, do you do these things, by whose authority, and that's the one that Jesus turns the question on them, says, I'll tell you if you can tell me how I was baptized. So I was sitting in, on this retreat out in the woods on a little bench opposite a tree, it was about eight feet away, and the diameter of the tree was probably about ten inches or so, and And it had lichen on the side, and I know enough about nature to know that that means it's been there a while. You can actually just know how long something has been sedentary by the size of the lichen. And so as I was sitting opposite this tree, I said, by what authority are you here? And the tree or God or something said, well, the same authority by which you're here. We have both been created. The author of that tree is the author of me. I wasn't, I'm in a a different group. The one who creates all, creates all. And so then we can begin to conceive that although I'm not the earth, I'm not other than the earth either. That everything, as James says, all things are unexplainably, invincibly one in endless diversity forever. This is what Jesus is wanting to proclaim. Others seem to be able to grasp it a little better. Those who haven't um, put God in a box. The sinners, the destitute, the outcast. But those who have really made it their object in life to be devoted those have a little bit of a harder time. And I find myself in that group. I would dare say all of y'all are too. How is it that we can respond to the abundance of who God is, the breadth, the height, the depth of who God is? How can we know it and allow ourselves to respond to God's invitation to know who we are? 
Indeed, Jesus has come to invite us into the fullness of the Godhead so that we might discover the fullness of who we've been created to be. And as James Finley says, when we learn this here on earth, the illusion that anything other than love is real, that illusion falls away. And we find ourselves in the kingdom of God, where we know that the only thing that is real is love. Amen.